Chapter 8, Approach 3 Still undetected, a dot crosses the plane of the ecliptic at about 33 degrees retrograde inside the orbit of Mercury, bending to the will of the sun's great gravitational tug, slowly rolling into the great solar gravity bowl. Chapter 9, Yadwid 1 the past gives you an identity, and the future holds the promise of salvation, of fulfillment, in whatever form. Both are illusions. Eckhart Tolle Call me Yarwid. It's not Dermot. Dermot sounds like something you dig up, doesn't it? Or a fuzzy green frog, I suppose. But then, being part archaeologist, I do indeed do my share of digging. I lecture and work at University College Dublin. They have amongst the finest of archaeology departments and a good hand on the study of folklore as well. I take to both of these areas of academia that are sometimes at odds with each other, but that don't usually even communicate across specialities. In my heart of hearts, I like to get my hands dirtier than the average professor, and I like to think that folklore holds more wisdom than scientific proof would necessarily allow for. As a result, rather than the professor's tweeds some seem to expect of me, my taste runs to the more practical demon. I don't bother with a paddy cap, as I've still got my hair to keep my head warm. It's wavy and black, if you must know, and I keep it cut short and out of the way. I'm an average height for an Irishman, so I don't have to duck under most doorways, but I do with many of the ancient structures I frequent for my fieldwork. My build may be somewhat slight, but I can swing a pick and push a shovel with the best of them, although more often I'll have a soft brush to remove dust and dirt from some ancient artifact without destroying it for future generations. The eyes I get from Dad, God rest his soul, and Mammy says that they show the restlessness of the green and stormy sea, and that someday I'll leave her to travel as Daddy did ten years ago. Of course, he traveled to the hereafter, and I do hope that's some ways off for me. My skin I get from both parents, and fair as it is, there's not much need to worry about a sunburn in Ireland, for although the sun comes out regularly, it goes back behind the clouds quickly, and more often most of the year. But then, isn't that why air is the island that has such a lovely hue as it had to be called emerald? We live a half hour by train from the university, and yes, I still live with my ma'am, and my position at UCD provides me a stable income to keep mammy supported. I need to travel regularly, mostly in country, thanks be to God, and so my sister Moira comes to stay with ma'am to manage the two rooms of our B&B in the on-season. Since the insurance on personally owned automobiles has gone sky-high, we, as with most, have done away with our cars, and like everyone else, just call a drone car on the iTab when we need to go somewhere out of walking distance. This allowed us to convert the garage into two extra ensuite bedrooms. Mara and Mammy designed the garage conversion together. They have the same design taste. They actually have much the same look, with the same long black wavy hair as well. But they have the gray-blue eyes that are common here, rather than my green ones. Mara is tall and willowy, and Mammy needs to look up to yell at her progeny, but there's no question of them being mother and daughter when you see them together. My brother Dan works for Tourism Ireland over in Galway, and not only does he know all the best places when I'm visiting, but he has an expense account, so we can always have a bit of crack when I'm in town. My baby sister, Siobhan, is married and living in Belgium with Noemi, her wife. 
and wasn't that a scandal at the time? Both Mammy and Daddy were furious, because why would a daughter of theirs choose to live in another country? So, it's up to Mara and me to take care of Mammy. Not that she thinks she needs the help, mind you. Mara lives in the village as well, and when I travel for a few days, Colm, her husband, doesn't mind the break at all as his loquacious wife comes to stay with our ma'am over a few nights and practices her chattiness on someone else's hearing. In fact, whenever he knows I'm to be gone for a few, Colm will go down to the pub for a few pints of his own and direct them that's on holiday to the Omerchida B&B for a stretch of peace at home. Like the rest of us, Mara can bend an ear for quite a while, whether the ear is tuned in to the speaker or not. I dare say she could have a statue or a forest or a stone as an audience and not be deterred in her lecture on the subject of whatever's on her mind. But then, don't most of us do the same? I myself have spoken to many a stone or collection of stones in my time, for I work in and around ancient megaliths and dolmens and stone circles made from those very rocks. And would you believe they've spoken back to me? Like Mara, many will say that the stones speak, but they're dealing in metaphors and do not actually listen. The stones do indeed speak with ancient voices, and those open to that channel, one you won't find on the RTE, can hear them. Do the listeners actually hear sounds? No. But then what is sound but a channel to the brain of the listener? As vision is in our brains rather than in our eyes, for eyes are merely the channel through which the photons are delivered, so is here in our minds, only some of which is received through the waves banging about on the hammers and timpana and those oddly shaped caverns of our ears. And so, where do we hear the voices of the ancients? Certainly not from the vibrations of the air, but there are other channels through which they may speak to us. Is this real? I do not know. But as I have written down these communications from the ether, They've seemed real enough to me. From whence do the words of our writers and music from our musicians arrive? Who are their muses? We accept these inputs every day, the thoughts that we think and the sounds that inform our music without question. So then, why not the wisdom of the stones is spoken into our heads? Will I put this into an academic paper? Probably not any time soon, for I wish to continue in my position and then be thought of as sane as anyone else. And Mammy needs someone to help support her. But I may discuss it from time to time as I am discussing it with you now. My thoughts mapped onto words, mapped into letters, each with its own history, and then passed on to you via the means of these letters, interpreted into your own mind as you review them. You hear me, and no doubt understand, although this has all taken place in our minds. The page or the screen that you view that holds these symbols through which you are interpreting meaning, are they not akin to the symbols carved into the rock that the ancients passed on to us? Just as these words cannot hold all the meaning in a thought, so the carvings in the rock cannot hold all the thoughts in the mind of the carver. Meaning is open to interpretation in any and all cases. Our common experience allows us to approximate the meaning of the speaker, or the writer, or the player, but what experience do we know that is in common with a man or a woman, a bard or a priest, a warrior or a peacemaker from 6,000 years ago? We can't know, but we can listen. And in the meantime, we can use the tools of science to unearth and view the parts that remain for us to see. 
ancient people in Ireland built what they built because it was so important that they spend a significant amount, perhaps 15 to 20 percent of their limited manpower, technology and resources over generations to build these all over Ireland and elsewhere, in fact. What was the reason? Certainly to help determine the best times for planting and to keep track of the stars and seasons. Now, the population of the area was probably fewer than a thousand individuals. It is only that today. But imagine what 15% of Ireland's total output today produces. What kind of projects today command that type of expense? It seems to me it would buy Iceland's economy a couple times over. A large handful of large hadron colliders. More than 150 Louisiana purchases in today's money. The Yanks got quite a steal on that one, though. Or a couple of Apollo programs. It would have paid for a return to the moon. So bigger than the, just the one astronomical reason, although I may come back to astronomical purposes. It's staggering to think these Stone Age farmers managed to pull this off. I'm thinking of specialization with the very first productive farmers in the then recent art of farming. The children or grandchildren of the first farmers in the rich soil of the Boyne Valley and indeed probably the whole county of Meath or whatever it might have been called then. These farming men and women managed to support their warriors and captains, bards and tars tellers, kings and queens, holy men and women, mathematicians, architects, and the workforce to make this happen, and to do so over lifetimes. I suppose there could have been a single prince or king larding it over the clan, but we don't know enough about these people living in their grass and wattle huts to know what moved them to build using massive stones quarried and transported from far away. So, I'll be heading off to America soon. And don't the young people of Ireland do this a lot? Even with all its troubles, not like the troubles, mind you, America still calls to us. The young ones, they don't realize they'll long for the emerald of home. But most will not return to satisfy their longings. Somewhere they fear they might stay home and never continue their adventure in the new world. They don't understand their ties with the old, with the land and the monuments, through the language and its poetry, through the myth and folklore, and through the call of spirit. Their souls hear the call of progress and better weather, never noticing that the weather they wish to escape ties them to their ancestors, the ones who speak loudest at Samhain. A few will make it back, and some will live in both worlds, as folklore does. They will keep some ties to what is in the soil, in the rain, and in the very air we breathe here at home. Eckhart Tolle, from his own home in the present in the new world, speaks of living past the realities and illusions of the first people who came before. What does he stand on but illusion and creation of further illusions? And yet what is more real, I might ask? Even so, isn't it illusion that we most often seek? Who is to say what is the real and what is illusion? We seek the ghosts of the past in our landscape. When we look to the future, physics seems to be telling us that nothing is solid. All matter is just energy and information. And so isn't that the very same thing of which vision and illusion both are made? Be that as it may, I'll soon be off to California University System where California is the epitome of what the youth seek, the modern, destroying ties with the old, even as a requirement of its existence.
I feel myself missing home, and I've not yet already left it. At least the anthropology department at UCSB, University of the Golden Land of California at Santa Barbara, is having a look into their own past. It's a past that is barely a part of modern culture, but they're working to remember, working to recreate, working to find the part of their souls that has gone missing in this rush of technology and possession and individualism that has taken hold of so many in that far-off sunny place, so unlike Ireland. None of this talk is welcome at the house at the moment. Neither man nor Mara is in the mood for philosophy or remembrance. Ireland is modern and wealthy now, so we sit to chat, though tea time is a ways off yet. I'm a bit worried that when I go, I say, I won't be able to help Mammy with the vegetables and our small cool clothes and at our patch at the turvy allotments. Who will help her pull the parsnips, I ask? My sister, always the diplomat, replies, Ah, Dee, you've got a thumb as green as those stones you study. Don't you worry, I'll be here, as always. Mammy jumps in with, Mara now, the man's got a name, not a letter. It's not D. Yadma, it's a great name, a noble name, a hero's name. Grand Somam, but it takes too long to say, and he's got no Granya now, does he? He's pining away to meet his fairy queen in a she somewhere. Now, Mara, says myself, I haven't met the right girl yet, is all. And as for the she, well, the good folk are no more unreal than that fella on the letter T hanging on the wall over there. Yadamid aid no murchera, sweet mother of Jesus. There's no call to be going sacrilegious on us now and insulting herself and her only child. Our savior up there in the mantle will hear you, and then what? And the other folk won't like it neither. As for meeting a good woman, I expect it's too late for you to find a Colleen now. And you all day, looking at rocks. I wonder you never became a priest. Ah, Mammy, I'll be sure to tell the good father at confession of my transgression. And sure, Christ himself must have a sense of humor about his sinners. I'm sure he's having a good laugh about stones and family and priests and the letter T at this very moment. Mara interrupts. So, Dee, do not disrupt this glowing variation on the ecumenical council. But would you be a gem and pop over to Scrum Diddley's and get us a big tub to share between the three of us? And ice cream, I finish. Don't be a gobshite and go get us some ice cream, would you? And a scrummy tub with Percy pigs, Oreos, biscuits, and snowballs, and caramel sauce, won't you, Dee? He's got a name, you know, Mara. Sweet Jesus on a bicycle, I'll go, say I. Watch your mouth now, Leonard. <laughs>